Welcome to The Reality Revolution. I'm your host, Brian Scott. Today's episode derives from an inner vision that I've had, which has been inspired by several Neville Goddard lectures in which he describes humanity and our place in it sort of like a tree. This is consistent with the idea of the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, that we are all together in this single tree. We branch out, but there is this root that is God, and God is like this tree. As we read in the book of John, I am the true vine. I was even further inspired by a writer named Joel S. Goldsmith in a book called Living the Infinite Way, in which he also discusses this concept that I am the vine. Now just stick with me because this is important. It will change your life. The Christ is the vine or the trunk and we are the branches. Now somewhere back in the days of old, our religious beliefs, we were under this idea that God's goodness to us depended upon our being worthy or deserving and that if we were bad or had sinned, God withheld our good. To me, this is a fundamental misunderstanding of the Creator. If anything should be clear to those on the spiritual path, it is this. God is love. God is law. God is principle. God is infinite intelligence. And God is eternal life. If life were dependent upon our virtue, and if our badness could interfere with life, or if anything at all could touch the harmonious flow of life, what would become of the spiritual teaching that life is eternal and immortal? Does it say anything about life's being immortal if, when, and as we do certain things? It does not. That we would make immortal life dependent upon you and me, and it is not. Immortal life is dependent upon God, and there's nothing that we can do to earn it, and there is nothing we can do to cause God to withhold it. We cannot pray to God to give us life, and there is no sin that can prevent the immortality and eternality of life. God is love. What then could you or I do to change the nature of God? Could our own child do anything that would change our love for him? Of course not. And if, from the human standpoint, we're able to give love to our children often when they do not deserve it, how much more love is pouring forth from our Heavenly Father? Can we accept the fact that God is love? Not God is love if we behave in a certain way or not just when we are worthy and deserving. There's a misconception that comes from Sunday school when we are told of this angry God. Can we accept that God is love and that God's reign falls on the just and the unjust alike? Did Jesus withhold good or healing because somebody was a sinner? Did he at any time ask the multitudes if they were good or if they squandered their money or saved it? In raising the dead, did he ask if the person had been moral or immoral, honest or dishonest? Or did he, in beholding 
what the world calls death, destroy all belief in it by raising the individual to life? We all know the answer to that. At no time did Jesus withhold healing, supply forgiveness, restoration, or reformation because of anyone's unworthiness or temporary sense of evil. But I continue to see this belief. I continue to see it. Even in the spiritual community that doesn't necessarily believe in Christ. The portion that simply believes in karma. The principle is this. Since God is love, our good must be infinite without any ifs, ands, or buts. Because God's grace is not dependent upon something that you or I do or do not do. The grace of God cannot be withheld. We can turn the electricity on or off, and we can turn the water on or off, but we cannot start or stop the flow of God. God is, and God is love, in its completeness and fullness. Let us now consider the principle, God is life. This does not mean that God is life at the age of six years, or at 16, God is life. Then why is this not so at 60, 90, or 120? The reason is that the words I, me, and you enter the picture and we say my life or your life and immediately we think of the date on a birth certificate. If God is life, of what consequence is the date on a birth certificate? God is the only life and that life is infinite. Is it God's fault if we change or get old or become sick and weak and decrepit? The life of God is infinite, eternal, and immortal And as that is the only life, we can forget your age and my age. In the same way, God is love. So let us forget your conduct and my conduct, because some of us may be good or bad today. Some are better. Some are worse. Perhaps some of us were better last year than we are this year. But the love of God for his children has not changed, nor has the power of God been stopped or stilled. God is mighty. God is power. But God being good, God is good power. Can God then withhold help, supply, or peace from anyone? Have you ever prayed to God and thought you didn't deserve it and that God was withdrawing the benefits from you? You and I can block it by bringing in the words I, me, and you. I may not be deserving. Or I may not be ready or have enough understanding, but it is not dependent upon my understanding. As we go into the healing work, the first calls will be for what the world calls lesser claims. And in a short time, we may begin to think, oh, I have some understanding or I am getting results through my understanding. If we do, we shall never become successful practitioners or teachers because We can never heal through our understanding. For a long time, I thought, if I could just understand God a little bit better, then I can utilize the power of God. But I will never fully understand. God forbid that God's presence and power should be dependent upon our understanding. As Joseph Murphy teaches us, healing is an activity of the Christ within. It is an activity of God's understanding. We've been thinking in terms of my life, my health, my supply, my worthiness, my understanding. And these are not involved at all. 
It is God's life, God's health, God's supply, God's worthiness, God's understanding. Jesus made that very clear when he said that of his own self he could do nothing. It was the Father within, therefore it was the Father's understanding. The moment we open our consciousness to the flow of the Creator and stop all this nonsense about our understanding and our good or bad behavior, we can be assured of this. The flow of God will erase and purify whatever error or deed is in our thought today and will wipe out all penalty for past infractions. We must come into the realization that it is not our understanding that does this, but God's. And we must come out from the old Judaic ideas and beliefs of a God of punishment and reward. The Creator is not a God of punishment and reward. God is love. God is life. We are told that we need to fear God in the Bible. What does that mean? My own personal interpretation is that we fear the effects of our God power when we move away from love, be a fearful of our thought. But we are continually told that we need to be afraid of God as if he or she or it or the universe is going to punish us. Every one of us still has some idea of God carried over from childhood training under orthodox or theological teachings to the effect that God's favor can be gained by certain acts of omission or commission. Many still believe that the Creator's favor can be gained by a certain form of prayer or worship or self-discipline. It took me a long time to understand that this is not true. Of this we must be sure. God is not influenced by us. That is, God is not influenced by individual you and me. God is the light. And if we walk out into the light, we will be in it. God's rain falls, and if we want it, we must walk out into the rain. God is, God is, God is. As Paul Selig likes to tell us, and God is love. God is pouring forth its infinite grace. But because of the use of words such as I, me, and mine, we are not accepting it. We must drop this belief that we play a part in obtaining God's love, God's grace, or God's givingness. And remember that the only part we play is to accept it by opening our consciousness to receive it. It's the one thing, after reading all these lectures from Joseph Murphy and Neville Goddard, and now Paramahansa Yogananda and all these other New Thought teachers that I had to learn such a simple lesson. I continue to have this thought that I'm trying to gain God's favor. But I am not. There is only one truth we must know. This one truth is the nature of God. Take this one thought into meditation. What is God. What is the nature of God? What is the character of God? What are the qualities of God? What is the true God? Not the God we were taught to worship as children or that we ignorantly worship. Try to empty the already two full vessels because 
They cannot be filled with the new wine. Even if you are 70, empty your old misconceptions. Be willing to begin all over with the admission that you do not know God or you would be showing forth more of God's grace. Forget all that you have thought or been taught about God and start afresh with this question. What is God? The moment you begin to realize that God is love, you will know that love is flowing, unfettered, unlimited, and free because the nature of God is infinity. It would be impossible for God to hand us just a thimble full of love. It would be impossible for God to give us 90% health. It would be impossible for God to issue us 60, 70, or 80 years of life. Although it is true that we are only demonstrating a thimble full of love and supply and just 60, 70, or 80 years of life and strength, it may be perfectly true that there is not much love coming in or going out from us. That's what we should be fearing. But that has been nothing to do with God. It has to do with the false belief that if only we can find the magic formula, in some way we can start God's good flowing. Or that for some reason we have stopped God's good. Maybe there's some technique I can use to allow for God to flow within me. Is it not rather fantastic to believe that we should live only 60 or 70 or 80 years in good health and strength when the only life we have is God and God's life is infinite and it is not dependent upon what we do about it? Life is dependent upon God's ability to maintain its own life immortality eternally and infinitely. Is it not strange that many have so few of the comforts of life when the master told us that truth is the comforter? He did not say that God would send a limited amount of comfort, but he said the comforter, the wholeness of the comforter. All this time, we've been satisfied with a small portion because we have believed that is all we have earned or deserved. In my recent episode with Marine St. Germain, she said there is no more karma. Let me just say something even crazier. There never was karma. There's cause and effect. And perhaps the words misconstrue things. But God is never punishing us. We are punishing ourselves with a misunderstanding of God. In making a will, we should not ask how much each of our children deserves and say, this one has been fairly good. So we will leave him a fair amount. And since this one wasn't very good at all, we will cut him off although that happens often, but because this one has been very good, we will leave him a large amount. No. We should say, we have three children and we will equally divide among them. How much more bountiful is our Heavenly Father and how much less does the Father judge than do we? God is not sitting in judgment up in space or condemnation because of our sins. Because the only reason behind our sins, faults, and errors is ignorance. Are we responsible for being ignorant? No. We have listened first to this one and that one, and through a feeling of obedience, loyalty, or fear, or programming, we have accepted these false beliefs. But the school of life is open to any of us at any time we wish to begin learning, and in our enlightenment we will find freedom. It is only in ignorance 
that we find discord, limitations, sin, disease, and death. That's what we should be fearing. When we say we should fear God, we should fear our ignorance of God. In our enlightenment, we find infinite abundance, freedom, immortality, and eternality. So regardless of what our age may be, remember that there is only one subject on which we need to be enlightened, and that is, what is the nature of God? God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Can you see God as the great love of the universe in whom there is no hate, envy, jealousy, malice, revenge, or even remembrance of the past? Can you see God as immortal, eternal, and infinite life? If so, you can bring harmony into your bodies and lives overnight. It is only the belief that you are, or are not, doing something that is causing sickness and sin in the flesh. It is only the belief that the error lies within you, and it does not. So please try to remember this truth. Man can never influence God. God is all good, and God's grace endureth forever. It took me a long time to learn that. More than half the episodes I've done on this podcast, I carried this belief that I could impress God. I can impress God by the podcast that I did or the service that I offered or some action that I took or a prayer that I gave or the gratitude that I offered. Eliminate the use of I, me, mine and center your thought wholly on the word God. Ask yourself, is God withholding any good? Can God withhold? Is there any reason for God to withhold? Does God have the power to shut off its own benevolence, love, protection, and care? There is no one on this earth great enough to make God do more than God itself is doing, and no sin great enough to stop God from being God. Once again, in the 15th chapter of John, we read, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather men, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit." so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep me commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 1 through 12. Now go back to the I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Ye are the branches. 
in your mind's eye, visualize a tree trunk from which grow many branches. Now remove the trunk. All that is left are loose branches hanging in space, unconnected with each other and unconnected with anything, each under the necessity of supporting itself up in the air. This is, of course, impossible. And in a short time, each of these branches will have used up the little life that was in itself and it will have fallen away. Now let us restore the trunk of the tree and notice what happens to the branches. We find them all connected with the tree and the tree itself rooted and grounded in the earth from which it is drawing into itself all the elements of the earth from this great earth in which the tree is rooted. The moisture, the sunshine, the substance and minerals of the earth are being drawn into the tree and all that is necessary for the growth and development of the tree is flowing into the branches. This is what's happening with us. I am the true vine. The Christ, as Neville Goddard refers to it, is the vine or the trunk, and we are the branches. Each individual seems to be a branch all by himself. According to our limited view in third density, unconnected, separate, and apart from every other branch. We think we are separate branches, and each is probably wondering how he can get along by himself. How does that person over there get his life? Wisdom and supply. What supports him? Each one is hustling along, struggling and striving by their individual efforts for happiness and salvation, as if that struggle would maintain and sustain their life. And here, Scripture is clearly stating that we are branches, but that we are connected with the vine. The God power, the life within, the Christ, is that vine. So, although invisible to the human sense, each branch is connected with every other branch. When I say that we are all one, that is what I'm visualizing, and that's what I want you to understand. Not one of us is separate and apart from the other. We are all a part of the same tree because we are all connected with the vine. We call that the Christ, the universe, the invisible spirit of God, or the subconscious mind, or the invisible son of God, the universal mind. And each one of us is connected to the other because of this central vine or trunk. And because we are connected with this central vine, we are less dependent upon our own power and strength and wisdom. Because of this vine, there is no need for us to live off one another or to struggle and fight against each other. We are united in the vine. We are one with the Christ. We are one in the Christ. But we go a step further and learn that my father is the husbandman, God, the universal truth, the universal life, the divine mind, the infinite love is the husbandman or the equivalent of the earth in which the tree is rooted and grounded. We are branches invisibly connected to the vine, which in turn is at one with God. I and my father are one. The father is in me and I in him. And so this invisible presence this invisible trunk of the tree or the vine rooted and grounded in the creator receives all of the good into it and pours it out into us. Do you not see that our supply is not dependent upon us? 
any more than the supply of the branch of the tree is dependent upon itself. The branch is dependent only upon its contact with the vine, and the vine's contact with the ground and the husbandman or the father within. As a student, we are a branch. And when you go into a teacher or a practitioner, they may temporarily be the vine. But only, however, if the teacher knows that of himself, he is nothing but the vine. God, the Father within, is the husbandman, and the teacher is one with the husbandman. In his oneness with God, the husbandman, all the truth, the healing, and supplying power flow from the Father through him to you. It was through this realization that the Master was able to feed and heal the multitudes. And it is through this same realization that any teacher or practitioner can be the avenue through which good flows to you. Is it dependent upon you? No. Is it dependent upon the practitioner or the teacher? No, it is dependent upon God's grace flowing through the vine into the branches. And as long as the vine remains rooted and grounded in the Creator, just that long is God flowing through the vine into you. So please remember that you will not always need a teacher or practitioner or guru to be your vine. That is only a temporary relationship. Jesus told his disciples, if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. In other words, after this truth has been demonstrated by contact with a teacher or practitioner, after you have gained wisdom in the realization that the healing did not come from him, but merely through him from the father within, you are ready for the next step. It is then you will realize the invisible Christ The vine is not necessarily a person, not even a Jesus, but the Christ is the very invisible part of me, our imagination. Therefore, I, as the branch, am connected with this invisible part of me, and it is in turn rooted and grounded in God. As Goldsmith explains, it is the Son of God in me, so the Christ is in the Father and the Father is in me. That realization is the healing truth. At this point, you're probably saying, if there is anything you might do or not do, it would stop this flow. Oh God, yes. There's one thing. You can forget that there is an invisible vine to which you are connected. You can forget that the Father is the husbandman and all of God's good is flowing forth. You can begin to believe that you are separate and apart from me. And that if you withhold something from me, you will benefit. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing, unless you recognize your conscious oneness with the invisible vine, the Son of God of you, you can do nothing. You'll be purged, and you'll be a branch, using up your life. And finally you'll dry up and fall off. You're purged not by God, but because you did not abide in God and let his word abide in you. The moment you are set apart as a branch and forget your union with the invisible God within, just because you cannot see, hear, taste, touch, or smell it, and so decide you do not have it. O ye of little faith, you will be purged. Always remember, even in your direst troubles, in your worst diseases, or 
in your most dreadful sin that you are still connected with this invisible vine. And then in turn, it is rooted and grounded in the whole of the Father, the whole. The very nature of God prevents God from withholding its flow into the vine and through the vine into you and me. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. So this concept of the Creator as the Infinite Father, think to what degree you are a father or mother and then think of the Creator as the Infinite Father. No respecter of persons and through the invisible vine is continually filling us with everything necessary for our unfoldment. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. Do you understand the meaning of that? Your Creator, your Father, is glorified only in proportion as you bear much fruit, rich fruit. Your Father is not glorified by penny-pinching or by going into a market asking for less expensive cuts of meat and the cheapest products. Your Father is not glorified when you have to get along with a third-hand automobile. No, that does not glorify the Father. The Father does not require that you have anything in the material realm, but what you do have of good is but the evidence of the Father's glory and not yours. If you do have a good home or a good income and begin to believe that you are the reason for that because you are having a special understanding or you are personally good, don't be surprised if you're cut off from it. That would be because you are glorifying your own qualities, your own nature and character and those you do not possess. Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. And when you realize the glory is showing forth through this good that has come to you, you may expect even greater fruit because you have acknowledged the source. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will give you unlimited and abundant good. Jesus only gave two commandments. Thus, saying that the Ten Commandments were not the primary commandments anymore. One was to love God and the other was to love your neighbor as yourself. How can you love God except in the realization of God as love? How can you love God if you believe that he is withholding some good or punishing you or doing something that you would not do to your own children? You can love and honor the Creator only if you can see the Creator as glorious, infinite life, life unfettered, unhindered, and unaffected by our virtue or transgression. To love God and your neighbor as yourself is to visualize that tree and remember that every branch is your neighbor and that your neighbor is deriving his good through the same invisible tree from the Father. It may be necessary occasionally, even while you voice this prayer, for your neighbor that you temporarily lend or give him some of the world's goods in order to help them over an acute stage of lack or limitation but you will never have to undertake continuously to uphold or support the deserving poor because there will be no deserving poor if you love your neighbor as yourself every time that you see an individual in some form of sin disease lack limitation deformity or even death just catch a glimpse of your tree and silently realize, thank God for that trunk. That trunk unites all in oneness and enables each one to draw from the infinite source and not from one another. It is then that you are loving God supremely and your neighbor as yourself because you are knowing 
the same truth about your neighbor that you are knowing about yourself. Jesus was careful to describe the neighbor so that no one would make any mistake. Your enemy is your neighbor. And therefore, when you pray for your neighbor, be sure to include your enemy. For unless you pray for them that persecute you and despitefully use you and forgive them until 70 times 7, you are loving only certain neighbors. And people have found themselves in a great deal of trouble from doing just that. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You lay down your life every time you declare, I have no life, God is my life, and God is your life. God is the only life, the only love, the only substance, the only supply. Every time you reach out to truth, someone is laying down his personal sense of life in the realization that his or her life being God's life is your life. Your life being God's life is his life, and it is one life. So when you give up that personal sense of life and say, this is not my life, this is the life of God, which is mine, you automatically bid goodbye to a 60 or 70 year span and are resurrected in the realization of good as the infinity of your life. In these passages from John is found the true vision of God, the infinite invisible as the source of all good, which can in no way withhold any good. Good is forever pouring itself forth individually in what is called the Son of God, which is the invisible part of you, and then through that invisible you out into the physical body, out into the mind and soul and spirit of individual being to show forth thy glory of God. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. So there can be no personal goodness, health, or wealth. The branch must draw it through the vine from the Godhead. The statement from Jesus, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, might lead one to believe, after all, that perhaps God punishes in some manner. But that is not true. If you do not abide in this truth, if you do not maintain your conscious oneness within you, and through it your oneness With the Creator, you will be purged. It will be you separating yourself from the Creator's grace and thus being purged, destroyed, burned up, or withered away. To abide in this truth is to live and move and have your being in this consciousness of your oneness. This, of course, does not mean that you are connected with people, but connected with the invisible, so that were you set down in mid-ocean or in the desert, you would be able to say, ah, but I am still a branch of the vine and the vine is still connected. God and therefore the place whereon I stand is holy ground. Every time you think thoughts of hopelessness and despair, it is as if you were acknowledging that you're a branch cut off from the vine and the vine from the Father and that you cannot reach either. Yet all the time, it is right here where you are. It is within you. And it is omnipresence. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am there ye may be also. Maybe wondering, where is I am? Wherever you are, there is the vine. You must always remember that the Creator does not give and does not withhold. It just continually is. God is, God is, God is. The vine of you is not sitting in judgment but is here to bless and to forgive, to supply and to love. 
What was the mission of the Master? Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, you don't need to believe in the Bible. It just inspires me because this goes beyond the Bible. You could even bring a physicist in and I could talk about the science of this. This is a metaphor. This is a way to speak to you on a metaphysical level. That's why some of the teachings in the Bible are wrong and some of them are right. This one in particular is very right and it's important. There is no word in the entire Bible and the mission of Jesus that gives any reason for being self-condemnatory. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. If you return to the old material state of consciousness and do not abide in the word, you will be purged again and again. Every time you forget that you are a branch connected with the invisible vine, which in its turn is connected with the Father, you are committing a sin. You can be the prodigal son 50 times if you wish but you will pay a penalty. If you go back to the belief of separation from the Creator, a branch hanging in space, you will bring upon yourself lack and limitation of supply, health, strength, and infinity. But if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. I know that this is quite a different teaching than a lot of what I've taught and i don't mean to get too biblical sometimes these biblical metaphors and ideas are important because when i can say hey we're all one what does that mean the concept of oneness for instance everybody is you pushed out has its own implications but the key is i think to understand of it like a tree and you are a branch of the tree grafting on Neville used a sort of different metaphor, and that is that we are taken from one tree to another and we're grafted on to the big tree. You take a bud from the tree of life and you simply graft it onto the tree of knowledge. You have been grafted. Grafted by the words that you hear and your experience in this density. And you are now bearing the fruits of that grafting. I am the vine and so are you. You can find all episodes of The Reality Revolution at therealityrevolution.com and welcome to The Reality Revolution.